Hello listeners, and welcome to A Dash of Salt with AJ. I'm your host, Ahsoka Jackson, author, poet, podcaster, and freelance proofreader. I thought about making things shorter, but even though the weather and power outages have caused a lot of delay for me, I still like to continue my coverage and address some key things about episode 10, A Sound Argument. I still haven't even reached a conversation with Hanja and Aaron yet, you know. So thanks to my fans here for their patience as I try to catch up with everything and basically juggle multiple episodes of the show at once. I haven't been able to do these podcast episodes nearly as soon as I would have liked, but I think it's worthwhile to do the extra coverage, so I'm willing to accept the schedule compromise. I'm just hoping I can have this and all the audio for episode 11 done in time for episode 12. Okay, so when we last left off, I was explaining how the laughter in episode 8 and the mirror scene in episode 9 and 10 from season 4 are actually consistent with prior behavior from Aaron. Plus, the mirror thing is not as odd as some folks seem to think. Heck, to me, having that moment just helps highlight the fact that Aaron is struggling with both the decision itself and with finding the strength and stamina to keep going, and is having to really work and dig deep in order to rally himself and muster that endurance for it. That actually makes his behavior all the more normal and reasonable. It's showing that he is suffering and is deeply affected by all of this. That's actually a positive sign because those are appropriate reactions to have in all of this. And again, even though I still have mixed feelings about the way episode 9 handled that scene, I do like the fact that they made his fatigue there more noticeable, especially since he's dealing with fresh grief at this point. And speaking of the grief, I don't need to belabor this point, but the whole laughing thing That was also something we've seen from prior seasons already, and it's not that he found Sasha's death entertaining any more than he found Mr. Hanna's death entertaining. Why do you think Eren has that completely horrified look on his face at the very end of Assassin's Bullet? That laugh was probably from the same combo of feelings that he was experiencing when he couldn't save Mr. Hans. This extreme anguish and bitterness and self-hatred and frustration at his inability to save people he cares for. No matter how much time passes and how much power and experience he gains, Aaron still faces these same tragedies and his own inability to stop them. Plus, in the case of Sasha's last words, they show the whole meat thing bringing up memories for him of that zany and also hopeful side of Sasha and her personality, and I would say that's the only aspect in which he's showing any genuine amusement. Just in having those fond, light-hearted memories of her and her craziness about food and everything, and how she had everyone freaking out when she stole that one piece of meat. But Aaron is not suddenly some psycho who's become a James Bond villain or something in that particular aspect, and is laughing it up. Oh, Sasha's dead? This is the most excitement I've had all week, and I'm something of a connoisseur of death, you know. No, it's definitely nothing like that. Anyways, before I move on to the railroad scene and then the exchange with Hanja, I want to mention two quick things I meant to say about Hizuru earlier. One sort of positive, the other definitely negative. The one thing I could say about Hizuru is that they at least seemed sort of forthright. As off-putting as their behavior was, I prefer the open, brazen greed and excess over a situation where they're trying hard to fool parties and pretend to be more noble and generous than they actually are. So I at least appreciate that much. I mean, I'm still not just putting my trust in them, but it seems like they're less underhanded than they might easily be. But to even find that worth commenting on or complimenting sort of puts into perspective how limited Paradis' options are right now. Things are still freaking lousy, to the point where the fact that Hizuru is openly being a leech 
pretty much qualifies as a bright spot. Anyways, the negative thing is that I strongly suspect that when push actually comes to shove, Hizuru won't have that much value as an ally. When we're talking about the reality of Marley and most of the other nations of the world assembling and being out for Paradise's blood, I don't think Hizuru can stop them. Not by diplomacy, and definitely not by force. What I envision when that day of reckoning actually comes is that Paradise will desperately look over at Hizuru, and Hizuru will just shrug and be like, We can't actually stop the whole world, you know. Sucks to be you, I guess. So in the end, I don't think there'll actually be much help in solving the single biggest and most urgent issue faced by Paradise. Heck, it sounds like Hizuru itself is already in a somewhat weakened or mediocre position, and the whole reason they're trying to siphon off Paradise's resources is to regain their own power and glory. And again, it's less a proper alliance and more a question of just squeezing out everything they can from the island without resorting to outright force. I don't think I'd have a lot of hope even if Hizuru wanted a properly symbiotic arrangement and was truly in this with Paradise, and that's clearly not even the case. So yeah, this deal is pretty revolting, and I really don't think there's much parties could actually gain under the current terms and dynamic, especially in the long term. I don't think Hizuru could save them from the world's wrath, and I don't think he'd be willing to risk too much when it comes to even attempting to do so. Alright, now, the real world scene. That was great to have, especially in a series as dark and depressing as Attack on Titan, and even more so with how dark this season gets. Although ironically, sometimes the sweet stuff just makes the painful stuff hurt that much more. Aaron's becoming increasingly estranged from his friends at present, and seeing how things used to be gives us some hope maybe, and is a valuable needed reminder, but it also arguably twists the knife even further. So... Yay! <laughs> I did definitely enjoy it though. First of all, we now know Aaron is officially that one guy in class. That felt like such a classic school motif of that one student who has all those inspiring, noble ideas, which everyone else gets pulled in by whether they want to be or not. He comes up with those wonderful community service projects that almost no one but himself actually wanted to spend their spare time on. In a world as crazy as AOT, it's so fun to have those touches that just feel so normal and grounded. So I was already laughing a lot just at that. And the funny thing is, I can kind of relate a little bit in a different way because of what Aaron basically said about multitasking. I had seen some of the manga here before, but I hadn't been aware of what one of my listeners actually pointed out. The fact that the manga actually went to the trouble of essentially explaining how they had managed to stay in fighting form now that they were no longer dealing with titans. It's sort of like what we saw earlier this season, with how Reiner and Berthold were busy doing a lot of hard physical labor before they even joined the training corps, and that's how they're able to stay in shape and build up a lot of muscle in advance. Once again, I'll post the full comment on the episode webpage. It was actually a reply to the part of the trailer reaction, where I was explaining my theories about Aaron's adult design and why the enhanced uh, fitness level may have actually had practical purposes and not just aesthetic ones. By the way, this commenter makes gorgeous motion manga videos, so if you're a manga reader yourself and don't have to worry about the spoiler factor or anything, then definitely, definitely go check out that channel on YouTube if you haven't already. But what I was going to say about the multitasking thing is that as much as I can't stand household chores, 
plus they're extra taxing on me because of my health problems. There is certain stuff I'll volunteer for, like carrying heavy things, because of how it helps keep my muscles in shape. And since it's a task that needs to be done anyways, it feels like less of a hassle sometimes than setting apart separate time purely to work out. And then some stuff I definitely didn't volunteer for, but I try to hate it a little less by reframing it in my mind as at least helping give my arms and abdominals a decent workout. It still sucks a lot, but at least it feels slightly less miserable then. I mean, so I could understand that idea some of multitasking and using the rail work to help stay in shape. Also, I just thought of Mr. Hannes and how in the very first episode of the series, Aaron was arguing with him about how important it was to stay prepared and about Grisha's warning against letting one's guard down. So it actually makes a lot of sense that Aaron might be looking for opportunities to make sure that he and his comrades in the military find ways to stay in at least a somewhat prepared state and don't lose all their battle readiness in this brief period of peace they're having. Because there's still a small matter of almost the whole rest of the world breathing down their necks. I will say that even though John and uh, Connie seemed pretty annoyed about Aaron and his impression of a very dark sort of boy scout, <laughs> one person who seemed perfectly content was Mikasa. I just lost it when I saw her just casually carrying those metal beams like she's freaking Popeye the Sailor or something. <laughs> just the whole way she entered the frame like there was nothing to it. That was so perfect and it really caught me off guard. I had to watch it a couple of times right there on the spot as I was first viewing the episode with my friend. Those Ackerman jeans really are something else. And honestly, I think Mikasa really was very content there because she has great abilities for the job. She got to stick close to her friends, especially Armin and Aaron, and the job itself was definitely way less hazardous than fighting Titans, so she didn't have to be nearly so worried all the time about everyone's safety. There's also a cellular element that other folks have spoken about when it comes to Mikasa. How she's always had this burn in the military of having folks depend on her and put her on a pedestal and look to her for salvation because of how she's a prodigy. And the truth is that she's ultimately a teenage girl who doesn't desire the spotlight or the attention, isn't seeking leadership, and only even joins the military to protect her friends, not because she wanted to be a soldier or hero herself. So it's a ton of unwanted pressure being placed on someone who's still quite young. So I would strongly suspect that the work with the railroad had way less pressure and was something Mikasa could feel much more comfortable in doing. Alright guys, thanks for listening to today and I hope you've had a great time. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and turn your notifications on so you can get updates. And you can help make the podcast more visible for new viewers and listeners by leaving a like, share, comment, or review on whichever platform you used to listen. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, YouTube, Amazon Music, Social Media, etc. Now be blessed and stay salty.